pay attention to what you're saying. You can just spit it out by rote and be thinking about your plans for the afternoon. And you get to the end of it and you just move on. And with all of these things, that's, uh, you miss a lot when you, when you do that. And uh, in a Bible study I taught the Nicene Creed, it took 24 installments, something like that, because we looked at each individual phrase. And it is rich. Now, what are creeds? Christian has alluded to this before. In the first four centuries, you didn't have church buildings. You met in people's houses or outside. And to be a Christian was a risky thing. If you didn't bow the knee to the emperor, you could be killed for it. That's why it's a really big deal when you read in the book of Acts that the disciples are going through a major city and here's a shrine and they are required to put an offering into the plate of this shrine and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, they're going to comply as much as they can, but they're not going to compromise those things that are not negotiable, which is that Jesus is Lord. And they would take their coin and put it in the plate and say, Jesus is Lord. How many of them paid the price right there? <laughs> History doesn't tell us, but I'm sure there were some. You could pay your life for that kind of a stand for a non-negotiable in the Christian faith. So in the first few centuries, you had people who, well, you know, Christianity got a little momentum and they're going, you know, it's socially acceptable to be a Christian. You get business benefits, you hang out with nice people. Maybe it's a good thing. We have the same risk in this country with the Bible Belt. You ought to thank God that you are in New England. Because it's an uphill climb here. There aren't a whole lot of people cheering you on because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You go to church on a Sunday morning. What is wrong with you? But if you're in some place like, and I don't want to, you know, life isn't necessarily easy in the Bible Belt, but it's more socially accepted to be a Christian. You're not, to, you're not a leper. You're not ostracized. And they dealt with this in the early church. And there are all these people coming and going, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I added him to my pantheon. I worship Zeus and Mars and Aphrodite and Jesus. And people would go, that's not what, that's not how this works. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, period. So in order to keep folk who weren't Christians, who didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian, they developed these creeds. And these creeds were learned usually for the six months or the year prior to the baptism that the believer would undergo, which became the formal joining into the church. And they would have to recite this creed. And they've been studying it for a year, so they know what it means because people taught them what it means. So when they say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, they do. 
And that kept a lot of the heresies out of the early church. Because the heresies were growing. There were, there were Arians and Apollinarians and all kinds of Arians that uh, didn't believe the gospel. Well, they wanted to believe it, but they wanted to tweak it in a way that made them feel better. And that's why we're going through the Apostles' Creed. These are the non-negotiable basics of what it means to be a Christian. If you say, oh yeah, I believe the Apostles' Creed, except for that phrase right there, I don't like that one. Taking that out. That's, that's, a, that's a slippery slope to be on. The one that we're going to look at this morning is not a comfortable one. Because it is... And he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified and dead. And here is one of the major cruxes of Christianity. It deals with who was Jesus. This comes right after the phrase that he was made man. And it makes sense that it's followed by, and he suffered. Because if Jesus was just some phantasm that... He was just a spirit who took on the image of a human body, but it wasn't really the human body. Then when they nailed it up to the cross, it didn't really hurt. And he didn't really die because it was just kind of a ghostly image thing. There are people who will say this. And that's not what the creed says. That's not what scripture says. Jesus died by crucifixion. When you see a cross today, you think of Jesus. You'd think he was the only one who was crucified. Oh my gosh. The Romans crucified tens of thousands of people. It was their preferred choice of capital punishment. Because it was long. It was agonizing. It was tortuous. The average time to die on a cross was five days. Nailed up through the wrist and the feet, hanging your entire body weight for five days? That's clever. They were skilled at making people suffer. You want to read an uncomfortable book, you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs. On the one hand, it's really encouraging to see what people have faced in the name of Jesus. On the other hand, it is really tough reading. Because it, it illuminates man's inhumanity to man. You die to... When you're crucified, you die of asphyxiation because eventually you are so weak that you can't exhale. You can inhale because gravity's pulling your diaphragm down and the air goes in, but you can't get rid of it because you're so weak. Because you've had some blood loss, you've had all of this stuff, I won't go into all the details. If they needed to speed this up, they broke your legs because then you can't push up and exhale. You just have And you die sooner. That's why the two robbers had their legs broken. 
because the Romans were kind of impatient. They didn't want to be doing this during the, uh, you know, during the Passover or during the, uh, the Sabbath. But why didn't they do that to Jesus? Because he was dead already. Wait a minute, he's only been up there like three hours. How did he do that? It's supposed to take five days. Where's the fun in that? This is why when people went to, uh, to Pilate and said, can we, can we have his body so we can inter him before sundown? And Pilate goes, he's dead already? Really? Why? Because Jesus was in charge of when he died. He gave up his spirit. He was God. He said, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Crucifixion was unknown when David wrote Psalm 22. The first recorded crucifixion was in 522 B.C., four centuries after David wrote this. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of, in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Sound familiar? It's a thousand years before Jesus experienced all of that. It's 400 plus years before the Persians invented this. And yet it's spot on for what takes place. And the creed said that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. What do we know about Pilate? Before 1961, all we knew about Pilate was what was in the Bible. Well, if you don't believe the Bible, that's easy to dismiss. You go, well, it's just a bunch of stories. They picked this name. Where'd they get that name? In the 1950s, there were a lot of people who were beating up on Scripture saying, see, there's no, who's this Pontius Pilate guy? There were other historians, Josephus, Philo, Eusebius, Tacitus, all referred to Pontius Pilate. But the skeptics Dismiss those two. Go, well, Tacitus is like Herodotus. You know he's a liar. Look at the stuff he wrote. Can't be true. So they just dismiss the stuff they don't like. So up until 1961, all these Christians are going, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know that because it says it in the Bible. And in the Bible was the only place we had anything about Pontius Pilate. And then in 1961, archaeologists found a corner of a foundation stone. You know when you go to the post office, I don't know if this post office here does, but the one up in Lebanon has a cornerstone, it has a date when they built the building. And sometimes you have a plaque that says who was the postmaster general or something. Um, this stone, which you can look it up on Wikipedia, it's called Pilot Stone, it says Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. Oh my gosh! And then they found other stuff. And now we know a whole lot about Pontius Pilate. He was a real guy. 
a fascinating guy. He's not a comfortable guy. Um, he served the Roman government. He was the prefect guy in charge of Judea, large chunk of Israel. The Jews were a thorn in the Roman side like no other nation had ever been. Every other nation, the Romans went in and said, you obey or we kill you. And people either, you know, put up the resistance and died, or they said, okay, fine, we'll do this. The Jews said, never, never, never. Every time the Romans would turn around, there would be zealots with knives like this and would take out some Romans. And the Romans would retaliate and slaughter a bunch, and it didn't matter. The Jews were never going to submit, which is why in 70 AD, Rome finally came down and annihilated millions and burnt Jerusalem to the ground and burnt the temple. This is the government that Pilate worked for. So he had a lot of resources on his side. He also needed to behave the way they wanted him to because if he got out of line, he had to answer to them. And he's dealing with all these pain-in-the-neck Jews who will not submit. So he does a few things, like he marches in in the dark of night with shields and puts them on the outside of the temple, on the outside of the governor's palace. And the next morning, the Jews get up and go, what is this abomination? And there was an uprising, and a letter was written, and Rome said, take those down. We don't need to just goad them. He also dealt with an uprising brutally and slaughtered several hundred, which was overkill, literally. Got in big trouble with Rome. So by the time Jesus shows up, Pilate's already on thin ice with his bosses. And if he gets out of line with his bosses, they can say, time for you to commit suicide. We're going to get another prelate and put him in Judea. And if you didn't commit suicide, then they'd assassinate you. So Pilate had this, he, he lacked people skills, to be nice about it. And eventually, he ticked off Rome enough, they pulled him out of Judea, they put him out on a frontier somewhere that was probably even worse, like up against the Germanic hordes. And by 39 AD, this is about six years after Jesus, um, he ticked off the emperor, and the emperor said, time for you to punch out, and he committed suicide. Sad life. But he's really famous. Is that worth something? I don't know. Notorious, I guess. He had it within his power to release Jesus. And he didn't. Why? The Romans wouldn't have cared. Except that the Jews were in Pilate's back pocket, and vice versa. He worked with the Jews to siphon money out of the temple treasury and to get favors, and it was his job to appoint the chief priest. And he did, because he pointed, you know, it's a good old buddy system. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And he could have released Jesus. He could have chosen to release Jesus. But instead, he asks the masses, well, what do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. Whoa, 
on, who am I going to release? I've got to release somebody. This is a holiday. And they say, Barabbas. And I want to I wanna know. <laughs> That's the last we hear of Barabbas. They set him free. Did he ever realize what Jesus did for him? Physically, spiritually, all of that? Is Barabbas in heaven because someday the light came on and he went, oh my gosh, the guy that they killed did it for me. Who knows? Might see him in heaven. That'd be cool. So why did Jesus die? He didn't die for anything he did. Scripture is really clear about that. And Pilate was really clear about that. Because he takes Jesus into his own private quarters and asks him questions. I, I'm not going to use the word interrogation. Technically it is, but in, you know, interrogation usually sounds like torture. And it's all in Scripture. He just asked him questions. And the problem with a text in black and white is you don't know what his tone of voice was. When he asked Jesus about truth, did he say, what is truth? Or did he say, what is truth? We don't know. But we know he asked the question. And then he comes out and he tells the people, I find no guilt in this man. What do you want me to do? Crucify him. Yeah, he's innocent. We don't care. So he gives in. <laughs> okay, I'll have him scourged. All the, rule, the laws that were broken in the passion of Jesus were amazing. Roman and Jewish law was thrown right under the bus, right under the chariot, because, okay, Jesus was arrested at night and taken before the Sanhedrin and interrogated and slapped around, and they decided he deserved to be crucified. A, that wasn't their decision to make. B, they're not supposed to hold a meeting at night. It has to happen in the daytime. It has to be open. This wasn't going to be open. Good Lord, the masses would rise up and defend Jesus, and they didn't want that. So they broke Jewish law left and right. Roman law said you couldn't be scourged if you were going to be crucified. Because you might die from the scourging, and then they don't get to nail you up. So if you're going to send somebody to be crucified, you don't scourge them. Well, if you've seen the passion, you know they did both. And for me, that is the worst scene for me. I cannot... I saw it once. So why did he die? He became one of us. The perfect son of God became one of us to pay for us. He came to redeem us because we couldn't redeem ourselves. And not everyone who carries the name Christian believes this. There is a cult called Christian Science, which is neither Christian nor science. And they say, well, no, just the life of Jesus. He just came to be an example to show you how to live a good life. Dying on the cross was a big mistake. It was, it's just sad. It's too bad. I mean, that, that wasn't part of the plan. That is not what Scripture says in a lot of different places. Hebrews 9. So also, Christ died once for all time 
as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Makes it sound like it was intentional, doesn't it? He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. Jesus' own words in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why are they lost? They're lost because the sin is between them and God. They don't have fellowship with God. How's he going to save them? He's going to pay for that. Because they can't. The wages of sin is death. So how many sins did you get to commit in your life before you have to die? And it doesn't have to be a big one. Well, I've committed more than one. I only got one life to give. Which means I can't pay my debt. But Jesus could. Because he had no sin. He was perfect. He was God. He was totally God, totally man. And he became totally man to pay my price. This was no accident. This was no tragic turn of events that somehow was outside the plan. This did not take God by surprise. This was the plan of the Trinity from eternity past. This boggles my mind. Creation, let's say creation of space and time is right here. Everything on this side is eternity past. This is the only way I can think of it because we're linear, linear beings who have only ever lived in time. But before there was time, <clears throat> there was eternity past. And the Trinity have always been. Okay, already we're outside what I can comprehend, but I know this is true. <clears throat> and they had a conversation and said, let's make man. And we want to make him with free will because we want him to have fellowship with us, but we want it to be something he wants. If we make a bunch of people and they haven't got any choice, they don't have any free will, they can't choose to worship us, they just worship us because that's how they're programmed, what good is that? So God gave man free will, and man blew it. And that didn't surprise them, they knew that was coming, because they discussed this in eternity past. And they said, so now there's this impediment between man and God. What do we do about that? Somebody's got to fix that. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll go. I will become one of them. And I will pay that price. All the inhabitants of the earth, this is from Revelation 13, will worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's the Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus. He's got a book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Before the Garden of Eden existed, Jesus knew, the Trinity knew, I have to go and I'm going to die. I am the lamb who's going to be slain from before the beginning of the world to buy these people back. That's called ransom. Somebody takes a hostage. You don't want to go in and shoot all the bad guys. 
You can buy the hostage back. How do you do that? You pay a ransom. That's funny because even the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's history. It really happened. It was part of the plan. And it's a plan that had us in mind from eternity past. That just, that boggles me. If you want to read, while I'm telling you about uncomfortable books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, a fascinating book written by a medical guy named Jim Bishop. And the book is called The Day Christ Died. And he goes through the Passion starting at 6 p.m. on Thursday night before the Last Supper. And he talks about each hour. What did Jesus experience? It is not comfortable reading, but oh my gosh, it gives you a yardstick to measure your gratitude for what Jesus did just in the physical realm in that night. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that all of this that you did, the uncomfortable stuff, the horrible stuff that we hate to dwell on, and yet it's what you did out of love for us. May we not dwell on this in a morbid way, but may it just fuel our gratitude to you. That you loved us this much, that when we were enemies with you, you did this. It is beyond our comprehension, and may we spend all of eternity praising you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.